0: Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing topics concerning the state of interactive design education at institutions of higher learning. I am your host, Gary Rosance, assistant professor of graphic design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Dana Pavlichko. Uh, Dana spends most days designing and illustrating. She works as a designer at Happy Cog in Philadelphia, where she creates websites, for big brands like MTV and Harvard. Having to work with a wide variety of clients, ranging from higher education to children's television networks to quirky medical museums, she is most excited about creating orderly, flexible design systems. Dana began making websites and blogs at the turn of the century on her dial-up internet connection. This inspired her to earn her BFA in graphic and interactive design from the Tyler School of Art. When she is not designing, Dana is gardening, making costumes with her friends, and running. Welcome, Dana. Hi. Hello. Uh Thanks for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, one thing before we get into the uh, line of questioning that I invited you here today, I just wanted to ask one question about... Um, so I, and I'll frame it this way. I just started designing websites just before the turn of the sense, uh, building websites. I don't want to say designing building websites before the turn of the century. And I too, that's inspired me to go to school for it. But I'm just curious what made you decide to go for grad, you know, design and illustration and interactive design instead of front end development.
1: Um, I was always very interested in art and graphic design seemed like at the time a really nice way of combining my love of art and then my love of customizing things and you know getting more into the technical side of things. So graphic design and specifically my major or concentration was more in interactive was at the time just what seemed like a perfect fit for
0: both angles yeah this uh, the only reason i ask is just you know i was just retro you know i was just kind of like thinking back it's like wow i'm you know i i really do love the front ending the front end html and css and i read a little php and i'm just surprised i didn't go down the computer science path i guess as instead i went down the design path so anyway it was just curiosity
1: yeah i think they're both really fun because they're both Solving little puzzles, yeah, um, especially front end. You're just solving all these little puzzles over and over, or, or like that build on each other. And then design is also really similar to that.
0: Yeah. Um, so for the listeners, I came across an article uh, you wrote called "Content Strategy for Designers," and while I was reading, I began to think about how I have students handle content on new projects, and if I was going. Eh, and I was wondering if what I was doing in the classroom was serving my students well once they got into the industry. So basically, I'll either supply the content to the students, or I'll ask them to go out and find or create it themselves. So Dana, uh, it seems to me, based on your article, that my process undervalues content strategy. So before we get into specific questions, from your perspective of being a designer, What is content strategy? And ideally, where does content strategy fit into the visual design process?
1: So I think there are a lot of different perspectives around what the definition of content strategy is. But from my own, content strategy is planning, it's creating content, and then it's creating a roadmap for how to create content in the future. Um, So the guidelines and decisions that come out of content strategy will inform messaging, hierarchy, and even things like how to structure a CMS in a project. Um, But most importantly, it's all about organization and clarity.
0: So where does that fit into um, the design process, the visual design process?
1: so I think content strategy can fit into a lot of different places in the design process Um, content strategy in my experience usually starts um, well before design officially begins but it can continue well into the design process which is ideal in my opinion Um, because content strategy produces a variety of different deliverables and those can each change depending on what um, the project needs Um, but The part where design and content strategy start to overlap is a lot of like IA and UX deliverables. Um, And I think the overlap and the collaboration between a designer and a content strategist can help create stronger deliverables.
0: So, how valuable or how important would it be for design students to know that content? to be aware of content strategy because when I give them the con I mean ideally they're focused on designing for the visual so does it matter truly that they were in school that they were involved in the process of coming up with the content strategy And um, is it in relationship to the real world or not well, into the business world <laughs> I guess
1: um not necessarily I think um as I've been learning more about content strategy uh, at work, I've it started to open my eyes to all the ways that content helps make your design stronger. So it helped me to start thinking about how all these little pieces are so connected and how the messaging is so connected to the way it's laid out and how all of these little bits of supporting content And things like microcopy can just really reinforce your whole project and determine whether something's going to be successful or not.
0: Um, Can you give me, um, in the listeners, an example of the microcopy? What do you mean by that?
1: Um, For that, that could be things like if you're going through a sign-up flow, and things like you've success, you've done this this sign-up flow. So microcopy can be things like when you're going through a sign up flow, and at the end, there's some sort of validation that you've done it the right way, or um, just making sure little things like the way a text on a button is phrased aligns with the way the rest of your voice throughout your project is, um,
0: is going. Okay. And so, I mean, from, I think that makes a big difference educationally speaking because we could spend hundreds we can spend a ton of time having them design the button over and over again but well um, good content strategy good microcopy means maybe we don't even need a button <laughs> it, yeah, it, could, maybe. <laughs> it could be something else um, and so I, I think that's, uh, personally where I struggle with in the classroom is that, um, there's this ambiguity that designers need to help work through and help sort out, but without real, you know, without active live clients to work through that, it's really hard to kind of replicate those scenarios in the classroom. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I think maybe one way of doing it would be, um, maybe giving an example of how one message could be rewritten in so many different ways and could uh, convey something completely different the way in 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 the way it's written. Oh, that's
0: yeah, oh. that's that's interesting. Um, can you? I have a couple of examples that popped to mind. Do you have one that popped into mind, like a specific one by any chance? Um, Sorry to maybe, put you on the spot.
1: <laughs> sure, no problem. Um, so maybe almost showing a case study of uh, something, some sort of written content where you see how something could be written in a conversational tone versus a formal, or conversational voice versus a formal voice and or maybe even just showing something in one of those and having students rewrite it to fit into another voice okay it be valuable
0: yeah no that that, that definitely would because i don't again i don't um i think one of the problems that we create that i create in the classroom is that there's just we just simply design something <laughs> um and there's no thought for are we designing the right thing Does this truly what the intent was? Um, We just kind of take it for granted that everything that we receive was correct or that the educator hands us is correct. Um, So in your article, you mentioned content strategy influences and informs user interface and design hierarchies. Can you give an example of this from your own work?
1: Sure. but So what I meant by that was that certain aspects of a project are strengthened when there are multiple collaborators. So the outcomes of content strategy exercises will help inform um, the messaging hierarchy um, of what information is most important. Um, And that information can then be used and is invaluable for things like translating these hierarchies into a wireframe, for example, and even determining things like source order or tagging. So there's, there's definitely an overlap between what can be found during content strategy and how that can translate t- to things far beyond writing.
0: So first, with in regards to um, the source the source hierarchy, um, at a place like Happy Cog, um, I know you can't speak for the industry at large, but who's res- who's primarily re- responsible for that source hierarchy?
1: Um, typically, we determine things like what type of messaging is most important, um, and how in within the code, like what's going to appear first in the source order, we'll determine that during wireframes, and that's usually something that a designer produces, but mm-hmm. they don't produce it in a vacuum. They absolutely, like, the whole team is usually involved, um, weighing in. If we have a content strategist that we're working with, they're involved, too, with any recommendations. Um, and everything everything we create has a very collaborative approach. So while a designer might be uh, charged with, creating the physical deliverable, there's a lot of collaboration that goes into producing it.
0: Well, I mean, but so it, it is, impo- but it is really important that the designer be able to help identify the, the source hierarchy Um, is part of the, you know, as part of the process.
1: Yes, absolutely. And
0: it's not just handed off by the content strategist or the information architect. Right. Okay. Cause I mean, that's, in the classroom, that's something I feel like we do is that we, we, we hand them. And even back in the good old fashioned print days (laughs) before we had to um, teach interactive, we kind of gave them the content with already a hierarchy established. Um, You know, again, taking away this process of, you know, student design, you know, determining what going through the process of determining what is the most important, Um, information, what, you know, helps convey um, the message of, of whatever it is that they're working on. And so I think that's one thing I'd like to personally do better is, uh, you know, take that out of my hands and put it back into the student's hand of determining like the, the content hierarchy.
1: Right, and and it's tough to find a balance too because when you're in school, there's all of these visual and technical skills that you're learning too, mm-hmm. and you're working on really honing those, and uh, it's it's hard to introduce so many um, other other skills all at once.
0: Yeah, and that's the and and really that's what this podcast is about. Is just I want to you know hear from as many different professionals and get as many different voices as I can to like, where is that balance? And that's, you know, between the tech, between the research, between the content creation and all of that, because I I, I believe I know personally I can do better. I can find a better balance. So that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do. Um, One thing you highlighted in the article uh, was how a company can determine an appropriate voice and how voice is separate from tone and messaging. So if I give students the content, I'm dictating the voice. If students find the content for any project, they're already, they're dictating the voice. How can an educator help set up an environment where students are determining the voice of a project for the client, and you know, not either dictating, be dictating it or being spoon-fed it.
1: Um, I think a lot of my answer for this question might have been touched on earlier, but okay. um, I know when I was in school in my own work, I often thought about the written content the least. It was mostly just like lorem ipsum or something that was provided by my professor um, to fill in my comps with, and that's more of how I thought about it. Um, so, but I think I would have personally benefited from just pausing to think a little bit more about what content was in my comps versus um, thinking about it as a purely conceptual or visual design. So, ultimately, I think it would have been strength. It would have strengthened my work at the time, earlier, uh, to have a view of how these different voices could be applied to a small to a similar messaging or how connections can be made with different pieces of content so so maybe students don't necessarily need to have to write content but just like taking a look at a case study or examples of how certain content decisions were made um, and certainly the difference between a voice and a tone if they're designing something that will be interacted with
0: um, with users When students design, when I, when we, and it's all back related back to content strategy, because we don't, I don't think educators handle the content strategy right in that they don't, the content strategy dictates the voice. That's where the voice is born from it. The voice is born from the content. So when I give them the content that the importance of the voice of that content is lost because I just handed it to them. When the students gather the content, they're gathering the content based already on their own voice. So when the, so the, the content under those two, circumstances doesn't clearly so the the visuals are derived at not because of content, but basically because of personal aesthetics. I mean, is that something that you're kind of seeing from people who were walking in, you know, from the undergraduate level when they, you know, like first come when you first meet them, are they like stuck like designing for themselves? And, you know, like do they have a problem connecting this idea of like this is the client's voice not this is the contents this is the voice that's come from the content.
1: Um, I don't have any specific examples of others but I know I certainly uh, did not think about content in a way of this is how another person needs to communicate this so I think a few things that helped me were like for example in some of our kickoff meetings with a client, we'll have exercises that we do around content strategy and determining what your voice is and that kind of thing, what you are and what you are not. And really just starting to understand exactly what your voice is. And that then will determine your tone, since tone is a little more how you Mm -hmm. react to situations. Um, So just any way of really uh, quantifying what your voice is and what it is not I think could be helpful when working with other people or even like in a a student's own work just really dissecting um, any of their particular, giving them the tools so that they can dissect their particular tendencies or um, editing to make sure things are more clear or fit in more with um, maybe goals that are set at the beginning of the project for how they want their tone to come across.
0: Yeah, that's that would be. I, I, so this is why I like doing these things because I never would have thought about just simple. We can have a little checklist: is tone match? <laughs> does visual does visuals match content tone and 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 voice etc. This is literally <laughs> stopping making them aware of that <laughs> would probably go a long way
1: yeah i think it's it's definitely the awareness because i know i absolutely was not aware of that kind of thing when i was uh, a student and it was not it was not something that i was focusing on either
0: yeah all right so we have about time for one more question and i and you meant also mentioned in your article frameworks for content strategy. Um, can you go a little more in depth on what they are? And if um, frameworks, well, this are, can you go a little bit more about what they are? Because Google was not helpful on this one.
1: <laughs> so frameworks are almost like these different philosophies on the process of content strategy. So these are usually expressed as a chart or a, visu- a visualization and they work to communicate what considerations have to go into making this plan for what the process is. Uh, So for example, parts of the plan might include how are decisions going to be made on what content is kept, what's not kept, and what needs to be rewritten. Or another part of the plan might include how are all of the goals of the content strategy going to be outlined, those types of things.
0: Um, do you happen where, do you happen to have a resource for where you, you found that? Um, or, or I was you int- suggest one.:
1: I was introduced to the concept of uh, content strategy frameworks when I attended Comfab, uh mm-hmm. in May. So in a, in a few of the keynotes, the speakers would show what their approach to content strategy was um, in the opening keynote. Um, we were introduced to a variety of different uh, frameworks, and the takeaway from that was definitely that there's no one-size-fits-all process. It's all about making a decision within the context of a team or that team's process.
0: Yeah, but it also—I mean—I like the idea that it does make it. I mean, whether it's it's not a one-size-fits-all, but the fact that it does—you know—it kind of highlights that there that it is a process. I think that. Can help me, you know, figure out where I can <laughs> fit in the totally. process into the whole, you know, grand scheme of things about what I do in the classroom. It's all insane, right. Like, sorry. Yeah, go ahead.
1: In uh, Christina Halverson's opening keynote, she went went over a ton of different content strategy frameworks, and those were all very helpful for me, especially as someone who is a designer and not. A, a content strategist, so this was just a really cool way of for me being able to see something visual was much easier for me to digest than to have something explained because yeah. i I guess I'm a very visual person, <laughs> but um is uh they were good good to look at
0: oh that's perfect and i'll I'll put that make sure I put that in the in the show notes so uh Dana, before I let you go. Uh, is there anything that you are working on personally that you'd like to share, or is there something that you want to promote or talk about?
1: Um, I'm usually working on like little illustrations just for myself or for um, publications, but I'm not working on anything at the moment. So, nothing at the moment, but thank you.
0: Oh, good. Um, and I do love your illustrations, by the way. Thank you. Um, how do you, I mean, how do you keep up that practice? I mean, what do you How would you Okay, let's let me let me just go back all the way to this. I don't think designers draw enough do things like that enough. Is there something that you would suggest um for me to pass on to my students to suggest like an easy way to get into just like starting the habit?
1: Um something that my high school art teacher did, and I wrote about it on Cognition. I can
0: uh, oh, yeah, I'll include dig a, it up.
1: a link. Um, but my high school art teacher uh, had this assignment for all of our art classes where we had to draw on and fill up one page in a sketchbook every single day. And it didn't matter what it was. We weren't judged on how good it was or what it was. It could probably have even been like notes from a, a class or like with some drawings in it. Like it could have been anything. Um, and you were supposed to do that every day. So um, once a week, we just put our notebooks on her desk and she would just flip through and make sure we had seven new pages. And then it was complete. And that started this idea of like, first off, like that the sketchbook is not a precious thing. Like they're there to use every page of and it's important to be able to just get your ideas out because like, when you're not trying to make something that's perfect, and I think that was the key, that's when you come up with some really cool stuff and it can help you in other projects later on. It can help you when you're not even realizing that it, you're making
0: connections. Oh, Perfect. Well, um, that's all we have time for uh, today on episode 27 of design edu today i want to thank uh today's guest dana Pavlichko, for being so generous with her time i want to thank the audience for listening and i want to thank the design edu today hosting sponsor DigitalOcean and cdn sponsor fastly for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible finally i want to thank the aiga and the AIGA design educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you want to discover more about the DesignEDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit us on the web at designedu.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at designedu today, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes or Google Play store. Thank you for listening to Design EDU today.